morning. We've, we've made it to Romans chapter 2. This is a big accomplishment. Not sure how many weeks we are into the study. Um, I hope that you guys enjoy the in-depth look at it. Um, although sometimes you can get too deep and you can get lost in the, in the, the woods and, and, and lose, lose the flow of things. And so you've got to be careful at the same time of, of not um, spending too much time looking at too many cross-references. So hopefully you, through chapter 1, have got a good idea of really what, what Paul is trying to say right from the beginning. And right from the beginning of chapter 1, he's laid in an indictment against all of mankind. He's, he's laid the charges to, to, to all of man and, and proved that, that nobody can, can suggest to God. On, you know the old saying, that what would you say to God? Whenever you die, why should I let you into heaven? Um, I don't care how good of a lawyer you have. If you've got Tim there, he's not going to be able to no plead chance. your case. There's only one that can plead your case, and that's Jesus Christ. And those are the things that we find um, throughout Paul's writings. But Romans chapter 1 deals with the indictment against man, against all those who uh, hold the truth and unrighteousness. And so, um, whereas we see in, in, in chapter 1, um, God or Paul details specifically um, the situation that man, man is, how they rejected God. They've, they've chosen everyone to reject God. Uh, basically, that's the indictment list. And if you go to chapter 3, we see... It's spoken of in a very simplistic and direct way, very succinctly, um, is how it's how it's worded in chapter three. Look at um, we'll look here at verse starting verse ten, chapter three, verse ten. It says, "As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understands. There is none that seeks after God." They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. You can't really get any more specific than that. That nobody's going to be able to approach God and, and act like that there's a, they can plead ignorance, they, that they can act like that, well, you know what, I know that I'm bad, but I'm not as bad as that person. We can't do that. And so Romans chapter 1 is that indictment, and here we get to chapter 2. And Paul is going to be dealing with, um, he's going to be specifically referring to, in verse 17, he's going to be referring to some Jews, but he's got a broader audience um, that fits this description, broader audience, I believe, in mind, but also that does fit this description. And so here he's going to, where he deal, dealt with, um, in many specific ways, some pagan attitudes and pagan sins, those who don't involve themselves in, with some of those sexual sins that we, we've looked at before, they can't say themselves that I'm not as guilty as they. And then Romans chapter 2 lays this part out. The person who considers themselves of a higher moral standard, um, Paul is going to show them directly that you are just as guilty as they. And that's what Romans chapter 2 is going to lay out for us, is the guiltiness of that person who wants to preach morality while at the same time reject God and, and, and many other things. Any comments or questions before we start looking at the verses? Okay. 
Chapter 2, verse 1 says, therefore. What does that word therefore mean? Because of this. That means it's connecting what was just said, right? You know, keep in mind God, and I'm, I'm sure all of you know this, but um, in case anybody online ever wonders, God didn't put the chapters in here. He didn't separate the books of the Bible by chapter. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1 is not so much a beginning of something totally different. Chapter 2, verse 1 is saying, Therefore, because of those things that we just said, thou art inexcusable. O man, whosoever thou art that judge, for wherein thou judge another, thou condemn thyself. For thou that judge does the same things. There's a misconception out there. I remember I served on one jury trial in my life. I found it to be interesting. It was a civil matter. Uh, it wasn't a high crimes or something like that. But I can remember that as you go through the process of, of selecting the juries, that many people trying to get out of it. Uh, let me give a piece of advice. If, if you consider yourself Christian, godly, you, 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 you know, hold the word of God in high esteem, you're the ones we need to serve as jurors, okay? Please don't try to get out of that. We need more of you in, in the jury box. But what I recall is, is many, many people trying to get out of it and trying to use that, that Christianese, oh, I can't do it because judge not lest thou be judged. That's not what Romans 2 is teaching us here. Because when you examine the scriptures, Paul makes it very evident, he makes it very clear that you should be as Christians judging one another. Judging one another according to truth. Judging one another according to righteousness that's revealed from God. Uh, tells us that it's, you know, I'm going to borrow the, the, the phrase here from Romans chapter 1. It's inexcusable for us, Christians, to take our matters before the secular world. We should be judging them ourselves, is what he says. So don't think that this is dealing with the idea that, that you shouldn't be judging one another. That you know what? that it doesn't matter as long as they're safe. I was dealing with somebody uh, over the past couple of weeks, somebody who is a Christian, I believe that they're a Christian, and their complete unwillingness to call out something that, that is ungodly, abortion, suggesting that, you know, all we need to do is give the gospel. That is an undiscerning Christian approach. Is giving the gospel a requirement? Yes. Is that the only thing we're here to do as the body of Christ? No. Giving the gospel is the main reason we're still here. But because we're here, we have to edify one another. Edifying one another isn't, as we'll talk about later in the message, edifying one another isn't the idea of, well, who am I to judge? Well, I don't judge according to my standard, which is why it's okay to judge, right? Because who do we, whose standards do we judge by? God's word. Which is why, you know, 2 Timothy 3 talking about scripture says it's good for reproof, it's good for correction in righteousness. And so don't be confused here that Romans chapter 2 is somehow um, and don't let us convince you that this is somehow suggesting that you can't judge. This is dealing more with judging in, in, in hypocrisy. Suggesting that, some, that you are morally above when at the same time you're denying God. Because that's who he's dealing with. He's dealing with people here the idea of those who are who are Jews um, and or 
Gentiles who want to reject God and, and suggest that you are somehow morally um, superior. Turn to uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 18. We see this therefore of chapter 2 is referring back to these groups here. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against some all ungodliness and righteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And again, this is what I, that I'm saying. A, a true Christian understands that Christianity is not religion. Religion is based upon one's actions. Christianity is based upon your relationship with Jesus Christ. And so it's not a religion. Religions always have to do with some sort of a work, some sort of a something that you have to do to somehow deserve God's um, forgiveness or righteousness, grace, love, and all that kind of stuff, that's religion. Christianity is not about that. And so the idea that um, for the Christian, they should understand that it's not about my righteousness. I am My righteousness is our filthy rags, right? It's Christ's righteousness that I've been clothed with. And so somebody who, who really understands salvation understands that God saved us by grace and they understand that God has judged all ungodliness we have all as we just read in Romans chapter 3 we read that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God all are unrighteous and so chapter 2 is dealing with these types of people here chapter 2 like I said or chapter 1 details but chapter 3 makes very clear and is put very simply and then if you look down here in verse 20 of chapter 1, we see specifically that there are no excuses. People think that they can somehow get an excuse. Romans 1.20 says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power in God that walk, so that they are without excuse. People seem to think that we have a God who has a tendency to try to hide things from man. God doesn't hide things from man. You want to know the truth? If you want to know about his Godhead, you want to know about his power, you can see those through creation. If you want to know about his goodness, as we're going to see here, you can understand that there is a God and that there is a judgment for righteousness, and the mere fact that he hasn't judged it means he is long-suffering. That goodness of God, as we're going to see, should cause us to want to serve you. Any comments? Sure. Alright. So back to chapter 2 here, verse 1. Like I said, the primary group that's being discussed here, if you actually drop down to verse 17, we see the statement, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God. So we can see that he's got the Jew in mind, but I would suggest that this is applicable to a much larger group than just the Jew. Anybody who today that wants to rely on their religiosity, that's this is going to apply to this, this aspect of thinking that, that you can, your morals can somehow achieve you, or even in any of your actions, can somehow achieve your right standing with God. Okay? a message, I don't know how long ago, a few months ago, I guess, how to be right with God. Somebody asked you how to be right with God. What's the answer? 
Believe in the gospel, that's right. It's it's by understanding accepting God's peace treaty, by by accepting that offer, it's the only way that we can be made accepted into the beloved. And so the religious person, the moral person, when I say moral, I'm not saying morals are bad. I'm saying morals apart from God are bad. Those are actually bad. And you may think, well, it's no. I'm telling you, anytime you, you teach morals apart from God, you're you're not helping a person. That doesn't help them one, one bit. So keep that in mind. Those who claim uh, that acts of um, their acts are, are somehow morally superior to those who, who live in open sin, it's kind of what this is talking about. I remember in, in, uh, in the Gospels, we see that picture where you have the Pharisees, you know, even the one that, that, that prays, you have the two men who are, you have the Pharisee who's praying, and you have the other man who, uh, who is confessing his sins, who wouldn't even bother to lift up his head to God, and you have the Pharisee standing over there next, thanking God that he's what? Not like him. him. That's kind of what this is talking about, is the person that has that kind of mentality. And you think there's much of that out there in the world today? Yeah. Much of it out there. I'll tell you right now, this whole, excuse me for getting into the, the daily um, junk that's out there in the world, this woke attitude. Are you familiar with what I mean by this that word, woke? You hear that thrown out there all the time? Woke is this idea of, of, of behaving one's itself in a more, um, what's the word I'm looking for here, uh, Accepted. Uh, what's the word? Knowledgeable. No. Um, mainstream. Mainstream. Politically correct type of thing. Yeah, mainstream, politically correct, culturally correct. This idea that you can't, you know, suggest that homosexuality is wrong. That's kind of like that would be like a woke attitude. Um, that's that's what the term out there is being used today. But it's the idea that somehow you've achieved some moral some moral uh, you know, achievement by judging according to some other standard versus God's and just it's not going to, to lead anywhere and, and, but we have a lot of that out there in the world today you may have heard this, this phrase virtue signaling have you heard that virtue what? signaling we have these businesses you know like well I'll give you this example you know you have these businesses who, who, who would no longer do business with somebody who speaks out against something that's unpopular today. Fill in the blank of examples. There's all kinds of businesses out there that are doing that. Coca-Cola, um, um, Major League Baseball, moving the, the All-Star game, right? That's this kind of virtue signaling, somehow suggesting that their morals are above the, this other standard. Well, it's acting that way when in fact those morals aren't in alignment with God. Therefore, you're acting morally superior when you're just as guilty. That's what this is talking about. That type of mentality, that type of an approach. And I hope you have the discernment. Somebody had their hand up. I'm talking on that same uh, venue. I was on the news, I think, at, uh, last week. I think his name is Jeff Bezos. Old, old Jeff Bezos, guy. yeah. He has hired people to read books 
and anything that says anything against homosexuality in any way or at the LGBT people, they will not sell those books. And the bad thing about that, the publishers are saying they're the largest distributor of books in the world. And if they won't buy these books, we're not going to publish them. It's modern day book burning. Yep. Well, here's what I know. Satan is the god of this world. Yep. I know that every day we get closer and closer to some more evil days. I'm not saying that the days in the past weren't evil. But I also know each and every day I get closer to Titus 2.13, that great glorious period of that great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we should rejoice every single day because of Maranatha, our Lord comes. Our Lord is coming. So yes, we can point those things out and um, realize that, but don't ever let it rob your joy, these things that are going on. Because guess what? Christ has secured the victory. We are already on the side of the winner. These people here, they want to pretend like they're good. And here the book of Romans is laying everyone guilty. Guilty as charged. You may think that you're better because you don't do this sin. But God knows your sin. And especially, like I said before, if you're somehow teaching some sort of a philosophy, as we're going to talk about here in a minute, or some sort of religious aspect of things, not only are you guilty, you are guilty even more in many ways because one of the biggest sins you can ever commit is causing somebody to stumble. What? Causing somebody to stumble, which is one of the reasons why Christ said, in a, in a paraphrasing here, um, how did Mr. T used to say it? I pity the fool. I pity the fool who ever teaches one of these young ones not to come to me. Being a stumbling block to others. Paul gives it in other examples. Yeah, I just always go back to it seems so horrible uh, the time we're, we're living in, but somebody take a, a position like that in Paul's time and, you know, the Christians would uh, get thrown in to the Colosseum and get eaten uh, alive because they were standing up for Christ and uh, you know teaching uh, what the word says and I mentioned something last week and you know I didn't really explain it and so it may have been confusing but uh, the Bible is absolute and we that has to be our source of truth mm -hmm. because, I mean, Sheree and I happened to watch, uh, you know, an episode of the Dick Van Dyke show, okay? And uh, you look at that and they sleep in twin beds during yep. that show because it was not appropriate to show on TV, you know, two married people even sleeping in one single bed because... Right. You know, that's just the, the way those times are. And, you know, that was considered controversial when they even opened up the bedroom uh, to that. So, and look at what is going on today. And, you know, I'm as guilty as anybody was <coughs> my eyes, what I put my eyes on and watch. But uh, we take so much for granted now. It's it's all relativism. Well, I'm, it all falls back. Well, I'm better than this other person so you know I must be good no I'm not uh, I'm not good because uh, the only way I can be good is 
by being in the Word because the Word's the thing that doesn't change. That's right. Throughout all the time. And, um, you know, I'm saved, so I have my uh, assurance of salvation, but it, it's a never-ending struggle what's what's going on out there mm-hmm. right now. But it's it's been the same uh, since the beginning of time almost, ever since... Uh, the Garden of Eden. That is true. That is very, very true. Um, the days are evil. They've pretty much, as you as you saw back in Genesis chapter six, and as you got with Noah, things were so evil at that point. Uh, God uh, judged the world in the way that He did, and that's not the only time that He um, we see this declaration of how evil things are. Um, and, and yeah, this this idea of relativism. These people here are doing that on an individual type of level. Man does it. Even Christians today do it on a, on a, on a level, and we've got to be careful with it. I, we had a conversation one time, Val and I, uh, about, with uh, our daughter and, and her husband about, uh, um, you know, whenever missionaries go to other countries and how, it, how uh, morals in that time, whenever it, where it comes to different groups, how their morals... Are they morally wrong considering they got their morals from culture? Uh, does it, is it immodest for them to walk around naked? And to them it's not immodest. So does that make it immodest? Well, my belief is no because truth is truth. The word of God is the word of God. They may not realize what's true, but just like Tim uh, correctly said, we judge these things by the word of God. And so um, truth is not relative. And so here what we're dealing with is a group of people that, again, the, the, the non-believer has always wanted to, to dismiss the idea of God judging them. That's, just, that's the way unbelievers have always been through every age. And so, and, but here again, like I said, we're dealing with those who um, think of themselves uh, um, as being morally su- superior to those who live in open sin. And so um, by, doing, by doing that, they're actually calling upon judgment um, upon themselves, as we're going to see here. But they themselves reject God's judgment upon themselves, saying the truth and actions um, uh, matter. You know, like these philosophers, we, you know, you know you've, you've heard of Confucius. Um, you've heard that Confucius say, right? I mean, that, I used to hear that a lot, actually, years ago. I don't so much hear it anymore. But his big thing was teaching people to love one another. Sounds good, doesn't it? We should love one another. Uh, well, the problem is, is it's not very loving to not tell somebody that, that destruction is coming, is it? You know, you talked about the idea of your family, the heritage with cancer. It's not very loving to not tell that person there's a lot of cancer in your family or even that you have cancer. That's not loving to tell them, oh, don't worry about, you know, dealing with that. And so the idea of loving one another without telling them that there's a destruction, a judgment day, a payday someday, that's not loving them. And so that this idea of some sort of morally superior, superior approach that's a philosophy of the world that, that should be rejected. I don't care if it's Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, all of these men that um, from back in this time and before, 
Um, they teach morals of one kind or another, but at the same time, um, they deny themselves, deny that they, they themselves um, are going to be judged based upon God's teaching, His morals. And, and so again, turn to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Look at verse 8. Philosophy is actually one of the quite popular um, studies in, in school today, in college. I would run from it if I were you. Colossians 2 verse 8 says, Beware. Well, let me ask you a question. If God says beware, what should you do? Beware. beware. Just curious. Lest any man spoil you through philosophy in vain. There's that word vain. We've seen that a few times. It's this, this emptiness, this, this um, fruitless deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after the church or after Christ. You see, the world wants to teach a level of morality that has to do with the collective good. That's modern-day liberalism right now. Modern-day liberalism is the idea that the things that we do, we do for the collective good. That's the ways of the world. No, the morals that a Christian should hear themselves to is not what is the collective good, but what is the truth, what is the truth of God's Word. And so, again, these these people here in verse 1... Paul is saying you are inexcusable. And in chapter 1 says uh, again um, much of why that is. Verses 2 and 3 are going to deal with the judgment of God according to truth. Back in Romans chapter 2. It says, but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man that judges them, which do such things and does the, sa- does the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God. And so again, we see here that Paul is not condemning, the word of God is not condemning the idea of judging uh, matters or judging right from wrong. It's judging in hypocrisy is what it is. You who do the same thing and judge another for it, um, and again, this is dealing with those who are, who are really unbelievers. And so that's, that's really the context of who he's, who's dealing with. And so um, look at Psalm chapter 19 when it comes to the judgment of, tr- of judgment of God according to truth. If you like to put um, cross-references in your Bible, that would be a good one to put in right there. Psalm chapter 19, verse 9. Psalm 19.9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. His judgments are true, they're righteous, and they're not only righteous, but they're good. How many people actually go around thinking that God's judgments are a good thing? You realize they're a good thing. Look at Psalm 119. Can you imagine if God didn't judge unrighteousness? Who wants to 
Who wants to live in a world where there's never a recompense for evil? Well, I guess the one who doesn't want to quit committing evil, I guess. But 119, look at verse 39. It says, Turn away my reproach which I fear, for thy judgments are good. See, the judgments of God are actually a good thing. We, sh- we want them. We should long for them. Um, now, we understand at the same time that he is merciful. He is long-suffering. He's shown us grace. He's not judged us the way that we deserve to be judged. But the idea of a world that is going to continue on forever and hopefully somehow on its own merits make itself to a place of utopia, if that's your hope, you might as well give up now because it's not going to happen. But God has promised that there's a day coming, a judgment day, and this is what he warns of. Paul in Acts chapter 17 warns about this to those who are in Athens. And so we can see that, that, that the judgment is good and you cannot hide uh, or deny your sin from God or somehow contend that it's not a problem. And that's kind of who, who he's dealing with here. Those who either want to hide and, and, and say that I'm not a sinner or somehow because I don't commit those sins that they really don't matter. All sin matters. Because God is righteous, God is holy. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Probably a pretty familiar passage. For the word of God... Is quick. It's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit, and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto his eyes, unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And so we see here a couple of things that ought to be pointed out. One, you can't hide your sin from God. You might be able to hide it from man, and you can go around condemning other people um, because somehow you you believe that it's morally um, wrong to do something. Um, but when you have your sin, if it's, it's left undealt with, um, and again, I'm talking about the unbeliever, those who would who are self-righteous um, that somehow think that their religious attitude or, or philosophy or moral teaching um, can somehow cleanse them. Um, the truth is open to God. And it's the word of God, as it says there, that, that is sharper than any two-edged sword. And I love that illustration that's used there um, because you had different types of swords of the day, Right. You had swords that would have, you know, a blade on one side there that was, that was made for, for kind of slicing. And then you had a two-edged sword that would be something that would use that you could literally, you know, stab somebody, which is why you see this reference that it's able to uh, pierce bone and marrow and able to, to, to separate even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. 
the word of God is able to separate that from the sort from the spirit and the soul and to distinguish. That's how powerful the word of God is, whether it's the word of God contained in God or the word of God that's revealed here. And so Paul here is 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 claiming and, and not just claiming here, he's announcing that you cannot escape, as verse three says, the judgment of God, that religious person. You cannot escape it. You cannot hide it from God. So I don't care if it's Plato, Aristotle, Socrates. I don't care if it's Confucius. I don't care that if it's somebody with a fantastic meme on Facebook telling me how, how I ought to make sure I do this to, have a, to be morally superior to those who don't do this. The fact of the matter is, is that, that um, well, as it says here, there is no escape from the judgment of God. Verse 4. I got six minutes. It says, or. I love how this says this. Because it just condemns these, this, this approach. And it says, or despises thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads thee to repentance. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart and unrepentant heart, treasurest up unto yourself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So here he says in verse 4, he says, or do you just despise God's goodness? Is that why you do this? Do you despise God's goodness? Is what he's saying here. And his forbearance and long-suffering. Again, this world, you know, the non-believer today, if you ask them that if God was long-suffering, what do you think their answer would be? It would probably be no. They don't believe God's, because they want to blame him for every, every single thing that goes on. You know, my mom was horrible to me. My dad was horrible to me. My boss is horrible to me. I don't have the job I want. You know, you know, I don't have the kind of money that I want. You know, why is why is this going on in the world? It's always God's fault. Well, Romans is telling us no, it's not God's fault. But here are these people, they apparently despised his goodness. And God is long suffering. Look at Romans chapter nine. Romans chapter 9, look at verse uh, 19. Romans chapter 9, verse 19 says, Thou will say then unto me, Why does he, he there being God, yet find fault? For who has resisted his will? Nay, but O man, who art thou that the repliest against God? Really, the understanding there is is the idea of, you know, do you really think that you're going to like have that conversation with God? Do you really think that you're going to be able to say to him, well, wait a minute, let's let's talk this out, God. You know, I think that you're wrong here. That's not going to happen. Who are you that's going to reply against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, why hast thou made me thus? Has not the potter power over the clay or the same lump to make one vessel in honor and unto another dishonor? What if God, and this is the verse I really wanted us to look at, because people, 
understand this verse. What if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory. In other words, what if God who is willing to judge the world was long suffering and willing to put up with it for a long time? That's the part that's the God that we need to make sure we introduce to the world and that we understand the truth about God. It's not the only time that it talks about the long suffering of God, is it? Peter talks about the long suffering too. Look at Second Peter three. Second Peter chapter three. Many people misunderstand this verse and try to use it as an excuse to believe that the age of the earth is really, really old. Um, but again, it's a misunderstanding. Something that's taken out of context. It's not what it's teaching. Look at Second Peter chapter three, verses seven through nine. It says, but the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, kept in store, reserved unto fire. What? what? Reserved against fire for what? Against the judgment and perdition of ungodly men. And we just got done reading about the long suffering of God. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But what? Long suffering. To us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so we see here this long suffering approach of God. Um, and here we got these people, like I said, in Romans chapter 2. Paul is, is addressing, saying, Do you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering? At verse 5. And then we'll finish up here. But after your hardness and impenitent heart, in other words, you won't repent. The hardness of your heart and your unwillingness to repent, you treasure up unto yourself wrath against the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteousness of God. Um, Understanding this, that um, God's long-suffering, God's goodness um, should have taught man to repent. His goodness should have led mankind to repent of their sins. I mean, think of it. I mean, we we understand we've been bought with a price, and so we, we usually as Christians, we take things all back to the cross and to the empty tomb. But what about, what about all the days that led up to that? I mean, mankind deserved to be judged, punished, and cast aside. But the glory that each of us are going to get in heaven, we can take beyond even the, even his willingness to go on the cross, but the long suffering throughout all these ages. That long suffering should in itself point man to the desire and be led to repent of our sins and to acknowledge the heavens declare the glory of God and cause us to want to serve him. That's what this is talking about. Any comments? I find it interesting that um, Romans 1, we're talking about that they're not willing to hold the truth and righteousness. Even if for our country in the 80s when 
people took sex to a, you know, outside of marriage in any way they wanted to, and how he says he gave them up. And then next he gives up, the next step is to go into um, homosexuality and whatever else goes. And then the next thing he gives them up to is the reprobate mind, mm -hmm. where I feel like we're at right now, you know, we're from the 80s, just, it's just the step, just like his word says. I mean, it just follows it perfectly. Sure. Yeah, and like I said, I think that one of the keys to, to uh, some of the differences of different times is, um, you know, Hitler called what he did good. There's no doubt about the people who do evil call their evil good most of the time. Um, but society has, has come to a different level of calling evil good and good evil. There's a different, different level of it today that I believe. Now, it doesn't mean I'm right, and I'm not saying that the rapture is next week, nor am I saying it that it's, you know, my generation. Um, but this reprobate mind that I think that we see that's going on in the world today um, is, is obvious. Um, but again, um, some of that is, you know, we've got, the, we've got you know, 24-hour news, and we've got social media, and we've got those things that not only make it more obvious to us, but I think help produce it even more and more. And so uh, I know this, that especially when it comes to the end times, that I think end times are interesting things to study, and I know that's not what you're talking about, but I'm just talking about those that, that do, that I would caution them and realize that uh, the end times isn't our focus, um, and so don't, don't get too caught up in that kind of stuff. I do want to read um, a couple of comments here from Derek from different things that he had posted. Uh, Derek said, uh, philosophy is basically a, a glorified opinion, uh, solely relying on man's understanding, and I agree with that 100%. Uh, thinking of the, the parable of the Pharisee and the publican in Luke chapter 18, and so, yeah, you guys can look those look that up. And then he finished off saying the sword of the Holy Spirit, the word of God, an offensive weapon, weapon in the armor of God. And that is true. All those things are true. So good comments from, from there. Anybody else? Okay. Right. Oh, go ahead. Talking about good calling, or people calling good evil and evil good. Uh, back before I retired, I had a Jewish friend that became a Christian, except for the Lord in the... Uh, he come into work one day, kind of banked up a little bit. What had happened? Uh, there was another guy that was with him, explained it to us. Some uh, some thief had come up on this lady, took a straight laser razor, didn't didn't cut her, but he cut the strap on her uh, on her person. Was running down the mall, and Ed tackled him, and they went at it for a little bit. He was trying to hold him. Well, when the guys at work heard about it, they gave him all kinds of grief about, you know, hey, it's none of your business, you know. He might have been uh, trying to feed his family. I mean, it, it was pitiful. And, you know, I was... Unless it was their mother. Yeah. And they'd say, why wasn't somebody there to 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 help her out? Well, what is wrong with society? Yeah. You know. But I was a fairly new Christian then, and that popped into my mind that people call it good evil and evil good. Sure. And, and again, that has been going on, um, you know, since since um, Satan uh, lied about the Word of God. I mean, that's, that's, that's been going on from the beginning. A lot of Jews thought it was a good one. They nailed uh, Christ to the cross. Yeah, yeah. So. Okay, good study.